0: and Answers. Racism has been a problem in the culture for centuries. Many will argue that the Bible and Christianity promotes racism and is a white man's religion. Is Christianity responsible for the racism we see today? Is Christianity responsible for atrocities like slavery and the oppression of minorities? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat and his guest, Dr. H.C. Felder, will address this challenging issue of racism.
1: You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of Today. Well, racism has been a problem in every culture for centuries. And many will argue that the Bible and Christianity promotes racism and that Christianity is, quote, the white man's religion. Well, is Christianity responsible for the racial tension that we see today? Does the Bible condone slavery? Are all races represented in the Bible? Well, to help us address some of these issues is Dr. H.C. Felder. Dr. Felder is a former engineer with Nassau, and after leaving Nassau, he studied at Southern Evangelical Seminary, receiving his master's and doctorate degrees in Christian apologetics. He's an author and speaker in the area of apologetics and cultural issues, and he is the founder and president of Giving and Answers Ministry. So, H.C., welcome to Evidence and Answers.
2: Well, Patrick, thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to be here.
1: Well, H.C., since... This is the first time you've been on Evidence and Answers, and we want the audience to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to faith in Christ.
2: Okay, sure. I actually uh, grew up in a home that was, I would say, a Christian home. We went to church every Sunday, and I remember hearing about some guy named Jesus, but I didn't really know much about him. But I, I knew enough to believe that there was a God, so I would say that I was a theist, not necessarily a Christian, because I didn't really know what that meant. And I pretty much, well, lived the life I wanted to live uh, outside of God, but I knew that there was a God. But in 1982, I know I'm giving my age away, something happened to change all of that. And that was when I was stationed in Subic Bay, Philippines. And the first day that I was stationed in, and I walked outside the gates of the base and I saw all the beautiful women and I saw all the bars. And I actually made a decision, a constant decision right then and there to no longer believe in God. Because I knew believing in a God would interfere with the way I wanted to live my life. Because I wanted to do what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, with whoever I wanted to do it with. And I didn't want to be held accountable to no one outside of myself. And I imagine in heaven, God was going, thy will be done. Because. Uh, He turned me over to the desires of my flesh, and the Bible tells us that God will do that, and that's exactly what happened. And those things sort of took control of my life, and I just sort of lived for those things. The only time that I would say that I struggled with my atheism, I know that's that's something people don't hear very much, uh, struggled with my atheism, is when I would go out to sea, and I would look up at the stars at night, and I just knew that there had to be something way beyond man to create the stars in the night and the just the immenseness that you feel when you're out in the middle of the sea it's just it's hard to deny that there has to be something greater than us but i will always fight that off with you know indulging more and more in the things i wanted to indulge in i eventually got out of the military i went to college and studied computer science and got a degree and got a job as a software engineer at NASA. And well, one day my uncle came to me, and my uncle introduced me to a young lady. And he said to me, he said, look, he said that she's a new Christian, but she's a new Christian, so in six months she won't be a Christian anymore, and then you will be, like, in the right spot. And that sounded good to me. That made sense to me <laughs> she was, you know, she was, she was very attractive, and I was, you know, I was attracted to her. But she was actually the first Christian that I met in my life where I could talk the talk and walk the walk. And she, one day, she invited me to go to church with her. And it was on a Friday. And I remember that because I remember thinking to myself, what kind of idiot goes to church on a Friday? You go to happy (laughs) hour on a Friday. You don't go to church on a Friday. And so, but because she was fine, I had me a couple of drinks and I went with her. But but God met me there. Something weird happened while I was there. I just got this this weird feeling that came over me, and, and it just sort of, like, uh, started moving in my body, and it started moving up to my chest, and I fought it off. And on the way home, I I told her about it, and she said that that, that was the Holy Spirit called me. And And for some bizarre reason, I believed it. I mean, it it actually made sense, even to an atheist, because I, that feeling was something I'd never experienced before, and it was just so different from anything else I experienced. So, you know, she was like, look, you ain't got to wait till Sunday to go back to church. You can accept the Lord right now. And so that night, you know, I accepted the Lord as my savior. But after a couple of weeks, you know, the euphoria wore off and everything. And I remember, I remember thinking, well, what did I do becoming a Christian? You know, <laughs> it had to be some emotional experience that I had, it can't possibly be true. I mean, the virgin birth, I mean, Jesus raising from the dead? That, that stuff can't, Noah's ark, this stuff can't possibly be true, you know? So I started doing research, and as I started doing research, I was shocked to find out all the information there was for Christianity, information that corroborated the Bible as the Word of God, that the God of the Bible is the God of the universe, and that Jesus, You know, dying and raising from the dead. All these things were true, and I could see the evidence for myself. And I was shocked. I was angry because the whole time I was an atheist, when I hated Christians and everyone that had anything to do with God, no one ever presented any of this information to me. So I decided to share that information with others. And I quit my job as a software engineer, which everyone thought I was crazy. And I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I to the Southern Evangelical Seminary, where I learned apologetics. And that is it in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, that's great. Now, you said that you rejected God because you wanted to live as, you know, you desired. Wouldn't you say that many out there have the same reason for rejecting God? They just want to live as they desire?
2: Absolutely, because if, if there is no God, all things are permissible. And even I knew that. So I would say, you know, I was a professing atheist, but I think that if you look at the stories of a lot of atheists, I mean, you will see some commonality. And a lot of them won't admit it, but it is them wanting to, you know, to basically do what they want to do and not be held calibre to any standard outside of themselves. But I call that, I call that ostrich philosophy or ostrich theology, you know, the ostrich when he comes across danger, he sticks his head in the sand, yeah. thinking that if he can't see the danger, then the danger, the danger can't see him. But just because you don't believe in God, you stop believing in God, doesn't mean that God goes away. Absolutely not. So those are blinders that people put on sometimes uh, in order to try to justify how they want to live their life.
1: Yeah, and how do you, you know, I run into that a lot where apologetics, we get rid of the intellectual walls or the intellectual arguments that they build up to justify their atheism and then when you come down to it that's what it is it's like okay yeah what's the real reason you we've got all the evidence we got reasons here god makes all the sense in the world what's the real reason you don't come to christ and you find out well there's something else here you know how do you break through that last barrier
2: yeah i think actually all you can do is do your part as far as breaking down the walls with the evidence of Christianity, because that last mile belongs to the Holy Spirit. There yeah. were people who didn't believe Paul. There were people who didn't believe Jesus. So there are always going to be people who don't believe if they really don't believe. But, you know, our hope is then, you know, somebody else will come along and or we plan it. Someone else will come along and water it. And that is that is all we can do as, as believers. And, you know, pray for a person that the Holy Spirit will do his part, because without the Holy Spirit really is, Nothing.
1: Nothing gets done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor Geisler always said that last 12 inches, going from the head to the heart, that's the job of yeah. the Holy Spirit. That, uh, yeah. but God doesn't bypass the mind to speak to the heart. So apologetics breaks down those intellectual barriers, but those last, you know, inches going from head to heart, that's the job right. of the Holy Spirit. For those
2: people who are actually seeking. Apologetics is what will break down that wall to allow the Holy Spirit in, but for those who just don't want to believe, God is not going to force them to go that extra mile. God is going to just say, "I presented you with everything you need, but if you decide you don't believe like God said to me, thy will be done
1: and then you know another part that I found significant is you said that we, we have to go past the emotions to having yeah. you know eventually you're, you're going to come to a point in your Christian faith where you're gonna need good reasons why you believe. Whether you face a death in the family or some crisis or intellectual challenges, you and I did. There comes a point where you got to get past emotions to a point where you're gonna have good reasons for why you believe in Christ.
2: Right. Yeah. Because it was great for those two weeks, but then after those <laughs> two weeks, you know, I had to. I had. I, I knew that being someone who was logic focused, you know, being a software engineer at NASA. I mean, so I, I had an analytical mind. So I couldn't just turn off my brain and stay a Christian. Like I said, it wasn't apologetics that brought me to Christianity, but it was apologetics that kept me in -hmm. Christianity.
1: Yeah, and I believe it's the Christian faith that brings it all together. The the spiritual, the emotional, and the intellectual. It's the only worldview that brings it all together. Yes. Now, we're talking about racism and the Bible, a heated topic, you know, whenever you bring up that term, I mean, emotions go flying here. But one of the accusations is that Christianity is written by white men. It was used to oppress minorities like you and I. So is Christianity, quote, a white man's religion?
2: Well, no. <laughs> it wasn't a white man's religion on day one. And it's not a white man's religion now. And, and if you if you think about it, if you read the Bible and you look at the first non-Jewish convert to Christianity was the Ethiopian eunuch Mm -hmm. and God performed a miracle in order for the Ethiopian eunuch to be able to hear the gospel and uh, through the apostle Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch actually took that gospel message back to his queen Candace. And by the fourth century AD, most of Africa was Christianized. But, but let's go back even further than that. Let's look at the day of Pentecost. If you look at the day of Pentecost, there were Jews there from every country known to man. There were Jews there from Africa. There were Jews there from the Middle East. So the first day that Christianity came into existence, it was a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural church from day one. And even going up through history, if you go through how Christianity actually spread, a lot of people have this idea that, you know, somehow Christianity was forced upon black people, you know, in Africa, that either they got Christianity from coming to America or the white missionaries went to Africa and, and uh, indoctrinated the people there, but that, that as I that was just mentioning, about the fourth century, most of Africa was Christianized, and and Africa was one of the first places or few places that was Christianized without any influence from Rome. The idea that these missionaries brought Christianity to Africa is actually backwards, because Christianity actually went from Africa. When I was telling about the African influence by the fourth century AD, it actually went from Africa to Europe because during the persecutions, a lot of the Christians who were in Africa fled to Europe. And when they went to Europe, they actually took Christianity with them. So, and we can see that if we look at like the, the uh, archaeological evidence, we have places in uh, in Africa going back to you know the early four and five hundreds where we see cathedrals and churches that had Christian themes and some of the biblical characters were even black. We have manuscript evidence going back to the 200 AD that were written in African languages. So the idea that Christianity somehow was brought to Africa by missionaries is just completely false. But then you also look at things, for instance, like, You know, the the early church fathers, you look at Tertullian, you look at Origen, you look at Athanasian, you look at Augustine. Augustine of Hippo was actually probably one of the greatest theologians to live. I mean, the, the Catholic Church doctrine is based on his teachings. And a lot of the theology we have today of Protestantism is a result, direct result of the teachings of Augustine. And I mentioned Athanasius, he was called the Black Dwarf. He was like the first apologist. He was called the Black Dwarf because he was short and black. Now, I'm short and black, so you know, I sort of have an affinity toward <laughs> Athanasius. But a lot of the councils, you know we, we, you know, we always hear about the Council of Trent, the Council of Messiah, and how they, you know, created these doctrines about Christianity. What a lot of people don't realize is that those councils were debated locally first. And a lot of those local councils that were debated first were debated in in Africa, and they sent representatives to those councils. And so when we look at these councils and the decisions they made, they were directly influenced by Africa and by African theologians. That was, you know, in the infancy of Christianity. But even today, a lot of people don't realize, my wife took me on a... Last year for my 60th birthday, I know if you saw my picture, you would be like, "That guy, ain't no 60 years old." Well, going to trust me? My wife took me on a trip to Africa. We went to Kenya, and I was I was shocked. I mean, I saw churches everywhere, and I remember asking, oh, God," I was like, "Wow, you know, I see a lot of churches here. You know, is there a heavy population of Christians here?" He was like, "He was like, uh, yes, it's 85 percent Christian." started doing research, and there are more Christians in Africa than there are in the United States. So Christianity is not a white man's religion today, because if it were, they would show a whole lot of black people in Africa who were not aware of that. So Christianity wasn't, and it is not a white man's religion. As a matter of fact, Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds in Africa right now. And God is doing an incredible work there. So clearly God's not racist. And clearly the gospel is not racist.
1: Yeah, you know, and I spent a lot of time in Africa, but I spent a lot of time in Asia as well. And some of the largest churches in the world are in Asia today. So I resonate with what you're saying. But H.C., Malcolm X, the black nationalist movement, they arose because of the narrative that Christianity is a white man's religion designed to oppress the black man and minorities. How did that come about if what you're saying about Christian history is true? How are they able to spread that narrative?
2: So here's the thing, is that there is a difference between Christians and Christianity. Christianity is what the Bible teaches and affirms. Christians do all kinds of things that's not Christian. Mm -hmm. And there definitely were, without a doubt, there were Christians who used the Bible to justify slavery, without a doubt. So because those people took the Bible out of context and twisted the Bible, doesn't mean that that's what the Bible teaches or what God affirms. So when Malcolm X, I've read a lot to Muhammad himself, who was, you know, who actually was not the founder of the Nation of Islam. W.D. Ford was, but Malcolm X was the one who took it to New Heights. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm X became a spokesperson for the nation of Islam, but both Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X had some interesting things in common, and those things were that when they looked around them and they saw the racism, because they both had family members who were killed by whites, who were killed by the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. So when they looked around and saw who these people were, they saw that they were white and they were professional Christians. So that led to some conclusion. Then, if these people are Christians and are doing this, then Christianity itself must be responsible when that is just simply not the case. These people were not acting in a Christian way, but they were acting actually against what Christianity teaches. But because they did not see themselves as having a place within Christianity, they actually came up with their own understanding, their own doctrine, their own God, and this God was, you know, black, literally black. Elijah Muhammad talks about how the God, it's weird when you start getting into their theology, but they will actually teach that W. D. Faw was the god of this world, and that he created himself out of a single atom, and that he was a man, a black man. And so they created their own god. It's, it's something that Dr. Geis used to say to all used to say all the time. That is that you know, man makes God in his own image. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Now God made us in His image. But when man makes a God, he makes them in our image, which is exactly what the Nation of Islam did. And what pretty much what most religions do is that they make a God that is appeasing to them, that acts the way that they want him to act and does the things that they want him to do. And that is exactly what the Nation of Islam did. And they did it in an effort to try to, to, try to combat the racism going on at that time and trying to get some people hope. But they were doing it by teaching the gospel or teaching a Christianity that was not, that was nowhere to be found in the Bible.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you bring up a good point. There has been racism in the church, unfortunately. I yes. come from cultures like in the Philippines where they wouldn't ordain Filipinos, and a lot of Filipinos couldn't attend the church services, the Christians who are there and things, and so people did experience that. So how should we address the racism issue In the church today
2: well one of the things that I I tried doing in my book (laughs) is that I demonstrate that the biblical view of man is the unity of man we have to understand that God made Adam and Eve in his image from Adam and Eve come every hue color ethnicity, nationality that we see today. They all come from Adam and Eve, and that we are all made in the image of God, and that Jesus died on the cross for each and every person. When we look at the uh, great commission that Jesus gave, and he didn't say go into the white nations or going to the black nations. He said go into, you know, into all the nations and making disciples out of all the nations. And we see when John the Revelator is talking about heaven and he's viewing it and he's saying that there's every nation, tribe, and tongue in heaven, we see that God's view of us is that each and every one of us is made in His image. Each and every one of us is worthy of the death of Christ. When we look at our fellow person, we have to say and we have to understand that Christ died for that person because that person was so valuable. So then we can't disparage our brother because he looks a little different from us. If Christ was willing to die for that person, just like he died for you, if they have the equal value before God, they need to have equal value before us.
1: Right. So you make a clear distinction here that there's Christian and Christianity. And, yes. you know, just because people misapply or misinterpret the Bible doesn't mean that Christianity is racist or that Christianity teaches false ideas because people misinterpret or misapply the Bible. That's a clear distinction we got to make here.
2: Right, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Now, we're hearing a lot about critical theory here or the new social justice movement or critical race theory, CRT, and they propose an answer to the racism issue that's different from what the Bible teaches. So explain to us a little bit what is critical theory, or the new social justice movement? And what's their proposed answer to solving the race issue here?
2: Well, I'm not an expert in CRT by any means, but my understanding of it is that they see people in uh, categories of oppressed and oppressor. And if you are in the oppressed class, then you need to rise up and overthrow your oppressor. And because they consider that America in itself is oppressive, then America needs to be, you know basically torn down and started all over again, because it was built on the uh, backs of slavery and on the backs of racism. That's what they would say. But that is not necessarily a biblical response, because it, it, what, what really disturbs me about this is that it has become prevalent in the church. Correct. And it shouldn't be difficult to discern who would bring division in the church. It would not be the spirit of Christ. He would not bring division in the church. It is the spirit of the Antichrist that brings division in the church that puts that pits people against one another based on the color of their skin. We never saw Jesus do that.
0: That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call. In Hawaii, that number is 483-0586 or you may contact them through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts, like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website, That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.